Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, July 19th, 2019. And on today's report, I will be talking about and remembering the Apollo 11 mission, which has its 50th anniversary this week, 50 years ago, tomorrow, July 20th, 1969. Neil Armstrong did what no human had ever done before. He stepped from the Eagle's ladder onto the surface of the moon. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were the two astronauts who undocked the Eagle from the command module, and Armstrong, as pilot, flew the ship to the area on the moon, known as the Sea of Tranquility. I remember the events like they happened yesterday since I was, as was most of the human race, glued to my television for the entire mission. It was touch and go there for a while because the landing area was thought to be a flat plain, but when the Eagle approached, it was covered by boulders. Armstrong had to fly the Eagle across the Sea of Tranquility until he had a safe landing area when he finally landed. The descent engine had only 30 seconds of fuel left when his now iconic words came over the television, the Eagle has landed, I still remember. The relief in Walter Cronkite's face and the excitement in his voice. Keep in mind that these men were doing something no one had ever done before, something extremely dangerous, something upon the successful completion of which rested the pride of a nation and the authenticity of its way of life. Michael Collins remained in the command module as it orbited the moon, waiting for the Eagle to complete its mission. Collins' job was to locate the Eagle in its ascent and dock with it as Armstrong flew the Eagle into the docking mechanism. If the Eagle's ascent engine had failed to ignite or if some tiny miscalculation had been made in the rendezvous maneuvers, Michael Collins would have been making a lonely trip home from the moon, Armstrong and Alden. Spent about 20 hours on the surface of the moon they collected about 200 pounds of rock samples and planted a flag, an American flag, on the moon's surface. It may have been a giant leap for mankind, as Armstrong said, and a trip for all humanity, but it was the American taxpayers who paid for it. And it was the guts and skill of three American men, along with the ingenuity of an entire nation, that made it possible. Those who are not yet alive, who were not yet alive, When the landing happened, can't grasp what a moment it was. It is no exaggeration to say it was one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest, achievements of humanity in its history. The United States was in a Cold War with the Soviet Union at the time. That men in arms and technology race, the threat of nuclear war, was always present. People were nervously aware of that as we changed leadership in 1960, General Eisenhower led us in war and peace for many years, but he gave way to John Kennedy with the 1960 election. On May 25, 1961, President Kennedy spoke to a joint session of Congress and to the American people. He told them that the United States would put a man on the moon within the current decade. That promise was kept with six months to spare, but unfortunately... President Kennedy was not alive to enjoy it. He lived only two and one-half years after that speech. The Soviet space program had launched a Russian cosmonaut named Yuri Gagarin, who became the first human in space. 
1959, it was a simple ride into space on a rocket called Vostok and a return to the United to the Earth alive. But it was enough. It was enough to get American attention. Enough to accelerate the United States into a race that it appeared to be losing, the space race. It was more than just who gets to the moon first. It was a question of which system is superior Soviet totalitarian communism or American representative self-government to some extent. I suppose that is still the question today compared to today. We were young then, just 50 years ago, with a young leader, President Kennedy was only 43 years old, handsome, charismatic especially, compared to the dour Nikita Khrushchev. The two men had some epic negotiation battles, including the Cuban Missile Crisis, which had middle America putting blankets over their windows to prevent flying glass fragments. But we won. We won the race. We buried the Soviet Union on the moon although it took another 20 years for them to realize it. There was a last-ditch Soviet effort to beat Apollo 11 to the moon, but it was an unmanned effort, an unmanned mission to land and bring back samples. But it crashed into the moon and never returned. Leadership is so important, and it's just as vital today as it was then. One thing is clear from the history of civilization, that is, that the people perish when their leadership is incompetent or non-existent, keep in mind that this scientific achievement was done without modern supercomputers, without the Internet, when Michael Collins, who is the only one of the three men still alive, was asked at the 50th reunion what was his biggest surprise about the mission. He said that all those little electrical gadgets actually worked perfectly, he also said that both Armstrong and Allen knew that if they were stranded on the moon, he was going home alone and would not commit suicide. That's just the kind of men they were. The greatness of America was all in our future, not in our past, we assumed. The word that best described what we felt watching that mission was pride. We beat the Soviet Union. We were the best. Our potential was boundless, our greatness was all ahead of us and not behind us, but I wonder if John Kennedy would recognize his country today. No, actually, actually, folks, I don't wonder because I know he would not recognize it when he was inaugurated in January 1961. The middle class was at its zenith. People of ordinary means knew that their job could support a couple with two children on only one income. They could have a house. A car, one vacation per year, all on one income. The kids didn't have to be stored with strangers or with the government. Now the middle class has been liquidated. It takes two incomes just to barely get by Apollo 11. Had to be paid for with real tax dollars, but now this credit economy gives us the false impression that money is inexhaustible and greed is the only thing that keeps it all from being free. The laws of economics have been repealed or at least they're invalid. They don't work anymore. We don't follow them anymore, any more than we follow the immigration laws. There is no competent leadership to bring us safely through this storm, especially in the Democrat Party. Who is the leader of the Democrat Party anyway? Nancy Pelosi? When a freshman member of Congress, barely in office six months, calls the Speaker of the House a racist, and the Speaker has no response 
except to continue the false and ridiculous narrative of Trump is a racist. She had the House pass a resolution condemning President Trump's racist tweets when any thinking person, any person who could read, could look at those tweets and see that there is nothing racist about it whatsoever. She just adds to the division in this country and calls attention to her cowardly failure to confront her own members, perhaps. Bill and Hillary Clinton are the leaders of the Democrats. Earlier this week, the Clintons were at a Billy Joel concert in Madison Square Garden in New York when Joel welcomed them as his good friends. The entire audience, almost as one, loudly booed them. I guess even in New York, the people are tired, are tired of the elites who are now suspected of child rape. Maybe it's Barack Obama or Joe Biden, who are the leaders of all Democrats. Joe has no credibility left after his failure to answer and then his groveling, cowardly apology to Kamala Harris. The Republicans are just as bad and offer no visible alternative. If one person, just one person, would step forward with the courage and determination to do the right thing for the country without regard to his legacy or re-election, perhaps. We could right this ship, but I see no one out there. At the time, Apollo 11 was perhaps the pinnacle of human achievement, but now, with supercomputing and artificial intelligence, knowledge is advancing faster than their ability to handle it. Thousands of years ago, progress was almost non-existent. People over thousands of years gradually learned how to domesticate animals, how to fashion stones into sharp points to make spears. Flint was discovered. That led to fire, and that led to heating and shaping objects to make swords and other implements. Even with that entire discovery process, very little changed. For thousands of years in the time of David, 1,000 years before Jesus was on the earth, people fought with swords and rode horses that pulled carts with wooden wheels. 1,000 years after Jesus, they still did so. Nothing much changed for about 2,500 years. What happened to spur technological, technological change in the world? What happened? The Industrial Revolution happened, and it spurred into production by Western civilization. In a period of 100 years, humanity advanced more than it had in the previous 2,500 years. Some of us seems to have forgotten that. But now a handful of people out there, just a handful, seem intent on destroying what Western civilization has produced over at least 1,500 years of effort. They are members of a group that seems to prefer transformative or destructive theory, meaning society has to be destroyed and rebuilt in their image. They may be too late, though, too late to destroy technological change. Gordon Moore, the founder of Intel, formulated what has come to be called Moore's Law. It's now being applied far beyond his electronic vision. Moore's Law holds that the number of transistors that can be placed in a dense integrated circuit doubles approximately every two years. If Moore's Law holds for another 10 years or so, it will inevitably lead to what some scientists now call singularity, which is when artificial intelligence will equal human intelligence. The difference will continue to compound after that with very unpredictable results, except 
that the nature of life itself will be altered. This is all coming to pass within the lives of at least our children, if not us. We are concerned, as we should be, about the total loss of privacy in every area of our lives, but we should also be very concerned that in just a few short years we may no longer be completely human. New species of human and machine cross-DNA will inevitably result as well as human and animal DNA mixes in the meantime. Our supposed leaders busy themselves by dreaming up new and ever more ridiculous reasons to call each other racist, white supremacists, and the like, knowing all the while that the premise is completely false. The whole thing is like some kind of ancient mysticism. Devoid of evidence, it instead utilizes its own incantations as proof. But as Humpty Dumpty said to Alice, quote, the real question is who will be master, end quote. Which value system will rule this civilization? That's our question for today. It seems obvious to me, if not to anyone else, that as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the West has forgotten God. We've not only forgotten him, we've banished him from public life, the one who created the moon that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on 50 years ago, the one who keeps it hanging out there in space has been intentionally forgotten. Finally, folks, how do we ever fulfill the promise of greatness left to us by Apollo 11? Respect for the rule of law would be a good start, just a start. At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.